Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast. This is episode number 48. I am Michael Citro, the managing editor of the Mainland.com, SB Nation's Orlando City website, which uh, we also cover the Orlando Pride and Orlando City B in the NWSL and USL, respectively. I am joined tonight by staff writer Andrew Harrison, senior columnist. Andrew, how are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend, and the more soccer action, the better. Yeah, we're going to record this uh, podcast while we're in a yet another Orlando City B weather delay. <laughs> it's uh, I don't know what we've had more of, Andrew, quite honestly, OCB red cards or OCB lightning delays. You know what? I feel like that would be a question to throw out to Twitter just to look at those statisticians, because I, I, I feel I'm going to go with red cards right now. <laughs> it's got to be pretty close. It's it's uh, probably so close as to make no difference at all. Uh, anyway, um, we are coming off a weekend of soccer in which uh, Orlando City went to New England to play on the turf at Gillette Stadium without Kaká for uh, yet another game. I think that's five that he's missed this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the Lions didn't play that great. But they came home with a result, one point, with the courtesy of a 2-2 draw. Shocking result against New England, another 2-2 draw. That's three times out of four meetings that the teams have drawn 2-2. And um, rescuing a point at the death with uh, a Carlos Rivas goal, a Carlos Rivas MLS goal (laughs) that actually went in the net instead of the upper deck of the stadium. Uh, Carlos finishing uh, what was really a tremendous play all around. And um, I want to get right into this because actually I was out of town over the weekend and didn't get to see the entire game. Uh, My daughter graduated from college and we were all out of town for that. And uh, I was keeping up with it on Twitter and stuff and watching the highlight videos as they as they were posted. But um, so uh, just a tremendous team play. Uh, Ramos with a good out uh, long outlet pass to Batista, uh, who one timed it into the corner for. Kyle Laren. Laren slid one across, and uh, Carlos Rivas, who, by the way, was on his own half of the midfield stripe when Batista got the ball, uh, finishes the play. Uh, just made an amazing run into the box and uh, beat the defender to the spot, stabbed it into the uh, into the net, and uh, and got the tie. What did you think of that goal? I thought it was a really great all-around team goal, but Let's be honest, nobody expected Rivas to actually score. But I guess in a world where Leicester City can win the Premier League, Carlos Rivas can eventually hit the back of the net (laughs) with all of his opportunities. I just thought it was a great play, and I think it really kind of shows you why Baptista was brought in. And I think it was just really harsh to say for him and all of the games that we've seen him play so far is really he is a difference maker. And the fact that he's only getting nine, ten minutes here or there um, is really kind of a sorry state of affairs right now because he really is such a great playmaker for this team. Yeah, and uh, you know Adrian Heath uh, has his has his uh, you know his designs on what he wants to get done and and you know Baptista was brought in as a reserve and he's been playing as a reserve and it's uh, you know it's if he keeps playing this well the the, the fitter he gets he's going to have to see more minutes don't you think? Oh, I think without a doubt. I mean. He hadn't been playing regular games, I think, before we signed him. But he's starting to get to the point where I think he's almost got to be one of those first names on the team sheet. Like, he's just coming in and changing games. We saw it in the... um, I've forgotten the game where they came on, like, right in the death. In the Philadelphia game, you know, 
both him and Rivas kind of turned it around and almost scored that winner, or at least Rivas mm-hmm. did, um, off of Vinter's cross. I, I think that you've got to start really highlighting the fact that these guys need to be starting just because, I, personally for me, I did get to watch the whole game. And I actually would have preferred that we lost so that something would have changed about this team. Mm. Well, Logan Oliver uh, actually wrote a story about that today, about uh, Carlos Rivas. Maybe he should be starting and makes a good case. Um, by the way, I think you had that backwards. I think it was Rivas with the cross for Vinter, Vinter yeah. who uh, yeah, one-timed it, and uh, Andre Blake made a save of the week type save on it, uh, which kept uh, kept Orlando City from rescuing a point in a game where it should have gotten a point uh, because Pro Pro decided to Pro yet again and... and uh, Said the ons the offside is uh, is is no not important to us. We give zero dams about the offside. <laughs> the goal stands. <laughs> and by the way, MLSsoccer.com uh, included that uh, Barnetta goal in their goals of the month for April. So offside goal is among the goals of the month. Uh, just uh, so it's it's amazing how they love to kind of highlight the quality of the league, <laughs> and yet then they do that kind of stuff. It makes you just so frustrated. Yeah, you look at this play. I mean, you may as well you may as well include saves when the play was what had the flag up for offside, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you may as well. I mean, uh, the re- here's the other thing too. You know, I, I want to personally give a shout out to New England's communications department for somehow finding a way to deny Kyle Laren an assist on the Rebus goal uh, when it was a, a pretty straightforward cross into the box that Rebus got there first and, and stuck in the back of the net. So, so good job, guys. Nice job. Nice effort. Uh, <laughs> it's just everybody all around us now, and we don't like to hop on that people are out to get us. But when that kind of thing happens, you you wonder who was watching the game, you know? Yeah, I think um, I once I, <laughs> I used to work in minor league hockey, and you would go to places, and and your team would get stiffed on assists all the time. And the guys come off the ice, and they go be like, "I didn't get an assist on that." And, you know, that's the first thing they start doing is complaining because a lot of guys have, um, you know, incentives mm-hmm. in their contracts. And, you know, yet the home team would get two assists on every goal, even if the goal was straight <laughs> off a turnover, right? Like the guy intercepts a pass and scores in one motion and yet gets two assists on the play. So, um, you know, it, it happens, some home cooking, and, and some of it's just ineptitude. You just have to say, you know, they're just inept. They just didn't know what they were doing. But... um you know, there were there were two assists. I think they gave a hockey assist on the. Ag, uh, I'm not sure if it was the Agadella goal or the other one, but um, yeah, it, yeah. So I noticed that in, in the box score. But uh, you know, Laren actually has, has a case for two assists, and he would be leading the team in assists. It would be interesting for him to have be. You know, for for Kyle Laren to be on four goals, three assists this early in the season would be a, a pretty incredible feat. But he should at least have that second assist yeah. uh, for that for the second goal. But um, so, you know, I think uh, getting back to Carlos Rivas for a minute, let's talk about him because Carlos, I'm a Carlos Rivas fan. I'm going to come right out and just tell the world, I think this kid's got some potential. I think this kid can play. I think he needs minutes to, to really integrate into what his team is trying to do. I know that he, when he's on the pitch, he doesn't always look like he's part of the team. He sometimes looks like a freelancer out there. But I think the longer he's out there, the more it's going to benefit both him and the Lions. And, um, you know, we've seen it before. When he's when he's on his game out there on the left side, he puts in some some service to Kyle Lahren that you can't – you just can't even believe when you see it. The ball just bends around the defenders perfectly, and Lahren has really nothing to do but touch it home a lot of those times. So I would like to see more of Carlos Rivas, especially 
you know, in these situations where we've got guys out and not really playing our, our you know, our preferred lineup. And, um, you know, I think he's a guy who can make a difference and make things happen. Now, if you want to say he, he should be a super sub, you know, I can't really argue too much with that. But I don't think you wait till the 80th yeah. minute to put in your super subs. I think you're talking more like 60 minutes. Yeah, well, I, and I think he's got that pace that, you know, we talked about the Chicago game, you know, the David Akams, the Kennedy Abogonikes, you know. We have, we have that pace. Why are we not using it? Especially when that game was really not great for our left side. Um, mm-hmm. Breck Shea just kept getting burned all over the park. Um, why wouldn't we start kind of pr- throwing the pressure back on their side and, and getting that separation? And also, you've got to realize, you know, Laren had, I'm going to say, six or six goals by this time last season, I think. And he had Rivas supplying him. He's less, he's gotten less service nowadays because Rivas isn't there. Um, I think that's an important thing to note as to why he could be important for that left side if we continue these struggles. Yeah, well, I mean, Laren did miss um, a couple of games with injury, and also last year he didn't really start until the Portland game. So, uh, but, you know, in this equal number of games, yeah, he's, he did start off scoring almost a goal a game there for, for a bit last year. But uh, and, and this year he did start out scoring yeah. a goal a game for three straight games. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's got a great partnership with Carlos Rivas, and I think that you have to... You have to use that, and I would really um, much prefer to see uh, Molino play in centrally, and maybe you go back to the the four two three one, and you have Molino playing in the middle between Rivas and, and Vinter. I think that's pretty formidable mm-hmm. uh, for MLS, and and you know I know you're paying Nocherino. I don't, you know, you want to play him, and you know he almost had a heroic moment uh, on on Saturday with a, a near miss at the at the post, but. Um, you know, and, and people are like, you know, shaking their heads. But you know, even the best goal scorers in MLS miss miss goals from point blank range like that, and miss the net from point blank range. So, you know, you shake your head, you go, it's another tough break for him. I, I still think that Nocherino's got some quality, and that he will start to show it here in the near future. People are like, we'll bench him till he gets fit or whatever. But you know, that's not really how it works. You really have to play to to get into that groove, and and you have to really play your way into form. You can't really you know, get into form sitting on the bench. So, uh, and he's not the kind of player, let's face it, that's going to go over and play in Melbourne uh, or sit through a lightning delay in Melbourne um, <laughs> and then, you know, play for OCB. So, um, you know, be a little bit more patient with Nocherino. We are still just eight games into the season, right? Yeah, I think, you know, the problem with Nocherino potentially is that he, maybe this isn't his system, you know, I'm not too sure he's really suited out to be that defensive midfielder. He likes the freedom and the creativity for being somebody that doesn't necessarily have such an assigned role. I would actually mm. start to like to see him more in that number 10 role, I think, so that he does have the ability and the flexibility to kind of move around the park a little bit. Because mm. I think he's also starting to disrupt the partnership between Hagida and Seren, who have looked kind of poor the last couple of games. And I think he's starting to throw them off because he they don't know where he's going to be. And that's really kind of causing a disconnect for them. Um, but a time will always tell you can't get minutes playing and training. That's not the same thing. That isn't, that isn't competitive gameplay. Only mm-hmm. way to get this guy up to speed is to do this. But, you know, what, at what point when we go back to the subs again, I, you have to think that 
just giving him 60, 70 minutes would be better than leaving it to the 81st minute before you mm-hmm. start stopping him out if he's not having mm-hmm. that great of a game. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's, you know, we have talked, I think, before on this podcast and, and amongst ourselves about, you know, maybe one of Adrian Heath's faults is his is his substitutions. He'll get it exactly right one week, and then the next week it, it will have absolutely no effect or, or he won't do anything until it's like, you know, the death of the game or whatever. But uh, it, there's so much going through a coach's mind that, you know, I – it's so hard to second. I mean, yeah. actually, it's not hard. It's very easy to second guess them, but it's really hard to get in their mind and to do it. I mean, once you, unless you're on the sideline, unless you're in his mind, you know what he's thinking. There's not really a lot that you can say about it other than it was his decision. Now, I have heard some things this year about Adrian Heath that I haven't heard in the past, which is, you know, there's some impatience, uh, impatience on the fans' parts, and, um, you know, I think that part of that is that this. This club is getting a bigger and bigger following, so there, there are a lot more fans now that don't have that connection with Adrian Heath from the USL days. Uh, that's part of it, and I think another part of it is impatience. And um, you know, I, I think Adrian Heath didn't forget how to manage, you know, from from his USL days. I don't think necessarily that uh, that they always had the best talent in USL, although they they certainly had a talented team. I think that he can manage. I think he can, he knows how to coach, and I think that that hasn't gone away. And I, you know, they they say some guys can coach to a certain level, and then they're in over their heads. And I don't think that Adrian Heath has reached his ceiling yet. But he is he is still just uh, what um, forty two games into his MLS career. So I mean, again, you know, he's he's still sort of learning the ropes, still sort of learning what he can do against certain players and what it, what he can do against certain systems and, and learning the, the managers of this league too. So, um, you know, I just think that uh, it's, it's way too early. I think that he gets the full year. I don't think that the, that ownership will pull the plug on him unless this team goes into a, just a really abysmal spiral. Yeah, I don't think they – I think they give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he – you have to give him credit for getting this team into Major League Soccer. If we hadn't had that success in USL, we wouldn't be here. So he's earned mm-hmm. his time. He's got the credentials. He's got the caliber that you would expect from a player, that, uh, for a manager that you really want to see come into this league. Um, but what I think is just incredibly interesting is that we can blow out a Portland or an L.A., and then just look so poor against other Eastern Conference opposition that once again really lags so far behind the Western Conference in terms of overall talent and breaking up games and goal scoring. It's just amazing that he's, I mean, if we could move Orlando to the Western Conference, we'd probably (laughs) be winning this thing outright by a really long margin. He gets the time, but I think there is going to be that part where you don't have the fan base that's willing to wait any longer um, Mm -hmm. that we did in USL because, you know, you've seen it right now. The crowds aren't going to USL. They're coming to the big games. They're filling Camping World Stadium, um, and they want to see the win. Sorry, I have remembered to say it right, though, at least. (laughs) Uh, They can pay us later. Um, It's just you want to – you need to – he has to change, and I don't want to see him adapt to the – just because of the fans, but he mm-hmm. has to start adapting to this league and realizing that substitutions are coming too late. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I will say that, um, 
he knows that if he doesn't make the playoffs, he's probably out of a job. Yep. Uh, he has said this before, so he knows that you know he's got he's taking, and whether that's true or not, only he and the ownership knows. But you know he's taking it and putting the pressure on his own shoulders to to make the playoffs this year. And so uh, you know we'll see how successful he is with that. And you know I am certainly not going to judge Adrian Heath um, eight games in when you know you've had Kyle Laren out, you've had uh, Kaká miss several games, you've had. Uh, Suspension. You've had, you've got two new guys that are supposed to be key players that haven't really uh, integrated quite yet. So uh, this team now is not what the team is going to look like in August. So uh, I'm willing to give this give this some uh, some time. If the as long as you know they can keep grinding out some results and, and staying in the race, that's it's very important because uh, you know a year ago they were losing those games at the end. So. Um, you know, this year it seems like Orlando City is good at scoring early and good at scoring late, uh, but not so good at scoring in the middle. So all they got to do is get that middle of the game uh, part down, and, and they'll have it made. Um, as somebody who did watch the entire game, Andrew, what were your what were your overall thoughts on the New England Orlando City match? It it was just the same old, same old. It was kind of a continuation of the last few games where. We seemed to go out with a lot of purpose, and then there was like a 60-minute patch of the game right in the middle where we just we couldn't have really bought an attack. Um, we just didn't have the pace. We didn't have the ability to break them down. We were, you know, suffering the same way that we did in the Red Bulls game, where they just had a lot of possession, and we were constantly playing defense. Um, mm-hmm. We have to start getting back on that front foot, but we have to make that front foot last longer than five minutes. Um, and right now, we don't seem to be able to convert that. And I'm not too sure if it... I, I'm, I'm beginning to think it's the formation that we're playing that is causing such a disconnect between the, the front line and the defense because the midfield just seems to be where we consistently are struggling. And that was pretty, once again, self-evident against a strong New England midfield that really is the engine room for this team um and we just will cause problems all over the park um mm-hmm. it, i and we just don't we don't seem to have the answers i would say that when carrasco came on i did feel like the game changed a little bit in our favor um by moving to kind of almost a, a lone person back up front again and kind of pegging some people back um but I just don't see I don't see how we get a win continuing to play in this formation based on the new yeah, I, game. I I would I'm with you a little bit. I'd like to see us just go back to letting uh, Darwin Saren and Chris Nikita cover all the ground in the in the central midfield. Uh, let them be the engines. Yep. Let them be the workhorses, and, and then let them get the ball forward and have numbers in attack. You know, have three attacking midfielders and then Kyle Laren up top. Uh, working above them, I think that's that's how this team sort of was built. So I think that's this how this team sort of works best. Um, you know, bringing on Nocherino, I, I kind of like your idea of moving him up because the fact is that he's he's not really a, a prototypical defensive midfielder. He's more like a deep lying offensive playmaker, yep. like a, like a, a very poor man's Pirlo, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know he's 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 more comfortable getting some space, pulling some strings, pull, picking out a pass, um, and I would like to. I anyway, I'm a big proponent of moving Kaká back to the left, where I think he's much much more comfortable. 
So I don't, I don't think he's a true central attacking midfielder. I think he really prefers to work the edge of the box and in rather than the middle. Uh, and I don't know that it's a vision thing. I just think it's a comfort thing. Um, so I think no Chirino between Molino and Kaká would also be very formidable. Yeah, I, I think that the reason I would really want to see him move forward is, is he has the ability to potentially make that mistake right now, um, and then he would still have Hagita and Seren be able to kind of cover for him. Whereas right now, because he's supposed to be playing with them, they're not working as a unit. So he was, I, don't get me wrong, I thought he, he ran all over the field but mm-hmm. he didn't do anything, and that was what was missing. So I would love to see him move over. I'm not too sure you – I like your idea of having Kakar on the left. I just feel like, once again, we go back to the supporters of this club, and if you moved him out there, I think people would be like, well, he's, he's completely lost the plot. Why would you play a number <laughs> 10 out on the left? And, you know, I – I, I would love to see it because I think that is where he is strongest. And I think mm-hmm. the ability for him to cross um, to Laren to a Molino, which we didn't really get to see last year, would make all the difference, especially now that Molino has found his scoring boots. I would just point to that uh, the game where where um, he pushed out to the left and, and Baptista played underneath uh, Kyle Laren and, you know, with, with Molino. And they, they, uh, they just looked like a whole different team, and I've never. I, they just were just wave after wave of a, of attacking force. I really enjoyed that, and I think, uh, you know, sure the fans might wonder what the heck Heath was doing, but you know, three points here and the three points there, and and that talk will go away pretty fast. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the one and one thing that's been I feel pretty self-evident over the last couple of games too is we have to get better at set pieces whether or not no Chirino's taking them Kaká's taking them we have to beat that first man we have to get some elevation no, virtually none of no Chirino's corners the other day made it to where you would consider somebody scoring from it Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, the, our dead ball situation just across the park has to get us so much better and I want to see us Stop playing the short free kick. Let's no, get like some pressure. Free. We've got some pace. It makes no sense when we have a Hagita, you know, just on the edge of the center circle in our own mid half, play a five yard short ball. Let's mm-hmm. just go ahead and launch it forward. We've got some great, if the beast is playing, we've got some great people who can nudge a guy off the ball. We've got some great pace that'll cut up in the flanks. I, 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 would love to see us move away from the short free kicks. Yeah, I agree with you. So do you have a man of the match for New England, uh, Orlando City? It was going to be a tough one, uh, but I think I have to go with Bendik. He didn't make a lot of saves, but I think he really kept us in it. I, I just There was just a part of me that, you know, once again, we without a goalkeeper, and yeah, we've kind of hopped on him about a little bit, but we're seeing some commanding performances from him. And realistically, I wouldn't, I just didn't think any of the outfield players deserved man of the match. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to abstain from picking since I didn't get to see the entire match. Um, uh, certainly I was impressed with what I saw, the, the highlights from, from Rivas and Baptista. Uh, I thought they, they both looked very good in the highlight package that I saw. Um, Bendik looked good. Yeah. 
the only reason I didn't I, go with Rivas or Baptista is I just nine minutes makes it, it yeah, makes right? it feel hard <laughs> to give one because otherwise I I was tempted to lean towards Carrasco too because I felt like he did kind of shore us up a little bit and turned us into a different team but once again I I just felt like Bendik had a good solid performance once again yeah well you know sometimes people do. Uh, more in nine minutes than other people do in 81, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, or 90 for that There's matter. There's a bumper sticker. Uh, Pride, Orlando Pride. They were one and one. They go up to Chicago. Uh, Julie Johnston does not start for the Red Stars, and you're th- starting to think, hey, going to score a couple goals, Alex Morgan. But no, no. In fact, uh, the every time Morgan got near the ball, she was double and triple teamed, and they really did a good job of shutting her down. Um, Tom Sermani changed up his lineup a little bit. He took uh, Jasmine Spencer out of the, the starting lineup, got Leanne Sanderson in, and um, it uh, it didn't go that well actually uh, for the for the Pride. And uh, uh, they had some scoring opportunities, but were not able to to uh, beat Alyssa Nair and uh, and the Red Stars. And the the Red Stars come out of there with a Kristen Press goal and win one nil. What were your thoughts on that match? Um. I, I wasn't disappointed. I thought that the Pride gave a good account for themselves. But what we saw in that game was having the U.S. women spread out across this league really starts to make it an equal league because they know how each other plays. They know what they need mm-hmm. to be able to do to take an Alex Morgan out of the game. And that's what Chicago did. And we didn't do that for press Um and her goal was a fantabulous. I thought it was a pretty good goal, and they were yeah. really solid for the win. And I, I would, I'm hoping that the Pride can bounce back um, coming back home. Yeah, it looked like a mix-up on that uh, play. I mean, I don't think that Steph Catley was supposed to be taking her from from her left uh, left back position. I don't think she was supposed to be that far into the midfield um, marking press. I think that was a, a mix-up with the with the central defenders, don't you think? Yeah, I think it, it, it certainly was. They just, they got all at sixes and sevens, and up until that point, um, I've gone forgotten her name, the other Australian, um, Alloway. Laura she Alloway. She's been having yeah. a pretty good game, and then somehow they just, they just completely got out of shape, and press was able to make them pay. And I would also potentially, I'm going to blame uh, Ashlyn Harris a little bit. I thought her positioning could have been a little bit better when press broke away um, and she didn't close her down fast enough. But, you know, that's really kind of picking at a scab. Um, yeah, because I, I think you're that you're absolutely right about the picking at the scab because another big game for Ashlyn Harris, another save of the week, uh, uh, you know, um, opportunity for her and... Um, I was just going to ask you about Ashlyn Harris. In fact, we're only three games in, but it's a short NWSL season. Ashlyn Harris is kind of off to a player of the year type uh, or, you know, league MVP type season. Oh, without a doubt. And I think it, it makes it even more baffling that she cannot buy a U.S. women's national team start. I understand that Hope Solo is a great goalkeeper, but she doesn't mm-hmm. need to play every game. She didn't need to play all of the games of the victory tour. Like there were times where <laughs> Harris could have played a game against, uh, you know, the second time they played a Brazil or the the Colombia games where they were just beating teams six or seven nil. I, I think it kind of leads to the fact that we got a really great goalkeeper, and she played well for the Spirit last year. But she's really become a bedrock for this team right from the right from the get go. 
Yeah, she is. I, I think Jill Ellis is just afraid of Hope Solo, so I don't. I don't think she's, <laughs> she, oh, you're gonna start Hope. Oh, yep, you're gonna play all ninety minutes. I'm not taking you out. Well, there can't, there can't um, be any other explanation, right? I mean, after <laughs> three weeks, three Save of the Week candidates, and they, you know, it's kind of hard. There's only ten teams, so you, you are almost <laughs> guaranteed when there's eight people up. But she's looking like she's gonna win again this week, so. That's a great performance. That's a sign of a quality goalkeeper, and you would love to see her get some more starts for the women's team. Absolutely, it's it's a it's a it's still a growing uh, process for Tom Sermani's team. They're still, you know, just a team that's been together for a matter of weeks. So, um, you know, the offense is usually behind the defense in terms of, you know, new teams, and we certainly saw that with Orlando City last year. So, uh, we need to find a way to get better service to Alex Morgan. And, and find a secondary score or a secondary threat that uh, you know will will be able to pull some defenders away from her, uh, and I think that they will do that. But uh, big, big, big match uh, this weekend against the Seattle Rain because the Rain is um, you know they're, they're a championship contender and they've got back-to-back uh, Player of the Week uh, Kim Little coming in, so. Um, you know they're not going to be a pushover, and you can't afford to get too far behind the eight ball because it's a ten-team league. Top four make the playoffs, and uh, if you get behind the eight ball early and you have too many teams to jump over, you just don't have the time to get those points back. So uh, this is a very, very important early season match for uh, the Orlando Pride. So uh, go out Sunday and cheer them on. Um, all right. So before we get to our guest, uh, which is perfect thing, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about Orlando City B. Uh, they went <laughs> once again went down to ten men uh, on uh, on the weekend and somehow managed a one nil victory over FC Montreal. Uh, Andrew, how bad is Montreal? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think they were doing that badly this season, to be truly honest with you. But the fact of the matter is, they they couldn't beat an OCB team that has really just been struggling so much this year. Um, but, you know, once again, maybe we've got to give some credit to the fact that we'd managed to grind out a win. Maybe mm. we need our backs to the wall, which we haven't really had so far. You know, we kind of came in with this belief, well, you know, we did so great in the USL. There's no way we can't do great again this time around. And we've mm. come in and looked like the absolute chumps in some games. <laughs> um, so I think being, you know, down for, was it 70 minutes? Yeah, I think Devron Garcia was sent off in the 19th. Yeah, 70 minutes with our backs against the wall at home. That's only a performance that's going to really kind of hopefully bring this team on. But, you know, maybe Montreal are just, you know, they would be getting the wooden spoon at the end of the season. Yeah, they're not off to a very good start at all. In fact, this was a the battle for the basement. And um, OCB won by getting, you know, staying out of the basement <laughs> and, and beating beating them. Uh, Michael Cox, the Canadian, uh, with a goal in the ninth minute, and it stood up for the remainder of the game. Uh, key talking point, Connor Donovan returns and plays uh, 45 minutes for OCB. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see the little lads get another opportunity. He went down with a really bad, horrific ACL injury, and it's really good to see him getting some minutes and really highlighting why this franchise was brought in to be in Melbourne because last year he could have been getting some game time but he needed to be uh, uh, in the 18 for the main for mm-hmm. the major league squad um, but now being so close he has the ability to do 45 minutes in a warm-up in a return game he can start to build up that confidence that is so important um, as a center back 
and you can just it was really good to see him out on the pitch. Yeah, and a lot of people forget that he was uh, ahead of Tommy Redding last year. He was he was you know first in line uh, you know after the starters and he you're right he couldn't get into the into the team but he was always having to dress and then they couldn't send him to Louisville to play because they needed him on the bench and then you know what do you do stick him on a you know a red eye and try to get him in the next night that's not good for anybody so uh, you know having the team over in Melbourne is is a big help for for this type of a situation just as you as you hit uh, the nail on the head. And uh, it's good to see Connor Donovan return from, you never just want to see a kid get hurt like that. And it was a, it was a bad injury. It was just a, you know, just minutes into his first MLS start and he was playing well. He was off to a good start. And he, you know, he had a, got tangled up with Philadelphia union, CJ Sapong on a, on a, a ball forward that he was trying to get to. And, and they tangled up and he came out the worst uh, of the two for that. And, uh, you know, he went down, and then Tommy Redding got his opportunity. And, and you know, Redding's done a very good job this year. He's uh, he's he's gotten to start. He's uh, he's earned his way in. He's earned his way to to stay on the field. He did have a couple of hiccups. Maybe some teams uh, exposed him, especially New York Red Bulls uh, exposed him a bit. And uh, you know, that got David Mateos uh, back into the the rotation and the starting lineup. And but a lot of people forget. Redding was behind Connor Donovan, and this this coaching staff is very high on Connor Donovan. They were very happy to draft him, and uh, he was uh, he was everything they'd hoped he'd be, you know, out of college in that draft. So, um, you know, it, it was good to see him get back out there and be part of that win. And uh, you know, maybe he was a calming force when that team went down to ten men. You know? Yeah, I I mean, but that comes from having those you know those big game experiences. Yeah, he didn't have many, but he was still dressing in the 18 for a lot of major league games before he got hurt but i i still remember you know when he got hurt and the the scream that he made like it was you knew it was a bad injury so the fact that he's been able to come back and we also ocb gets the win um you know two big momentous occasions hopefully going to turn around the season for um ocb first home win at titan soccer complex for ocb and uh you know what we're gonna we're gonna have a, a quick little, uh, you know, announcement from uh, from a sponsor. But on the other side of this, why don't we talk to Connor Donovan and, and get his uh, perspective? Joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, uh, very pleased to welcome Orlando City defender Connor Donovan to the show. Uh, Connor, how's it going tonight? It's good. Uh... Just hanging out of the apartment, um, but yeah, everything's good. That's good to hear. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, last year coming in as a rookie, uh, your first year of MLS play, and um, you know, biding your time, getting to play in some friendlies and, and maybe a little bit of U.S. Open Cup, and then you know, you get your chance to start, and um, didn't last a whole uh, a whole long time uh, before you uh, and uh, C.J. Sapong got tangled up on the Citrus Bowl turf, and um, you know, you were you were injured and, and out for the year, and you're just coming back now from it. I guess my first question for you is: Is did you know right away how uh, badly you were hurt? And uh, you know, what was that like uh, to go through? Yeah, I mean, um, when it first happened, I knew it wasn't something good. Um, I didn't like you know how everyone says when they tear their ACL, they hear a pop. Um, uh-huh. I didn't I didn't hear that. I don't know if it's because the stadium was loud or my, I just couldn't hear it or anything, but. It just something didn't feel good, and it hurt a lot. Um, and I, I, I handle pain pretty well, I'd say, and, um, but it didn't, it didn't feel good. And then um, 
my mind, like right when I heard uh, the stretchers coming, I just like instantly said, oh, I'm fine, um, and popped up uh, and decided to try running. And then uh, it was like a little a little limp in the run, but uh, and then I figured I couldn't stop running. Like uh, when you tear your ACL, it wouldn't let me actually stop running. So that's kind of when it hit me that something, uh, something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you weren't the first person who um, got injured on the Citrus Bowl turf last year. Um, you kind of went through this with Kevin Molino. Um, was it kind of good to have somebody there that, you know, was able to help you through it and be going through the same thing at the exact same time? Yeah, I mean, it's always good to um, just have someone that you can talk to. I mean, I had also uh, guys like Tony Cassio and Tally Hall were also there um, that did it the year before, and Tally was partially finishing his up um, probably around this time. Actually, maybe a month, like another month or so, he was uh, getting back into it from his ACL up there. Uh, so having him and Tony and Kev, and then uh, Kev for most of them, just seeing uh, the stuff he did and stuff I could look forward to and everything like that. So it's definitely helpful. There's no way it, it would hurt ever. Connor, the... Uh... You know, the, the club recently traded Aurelian Collin to New York Red Bulls, and um, I guess this has to be seen, uh, you know, by you as, as sort of an opportunity, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it, it makes one less center back on the depth chart, obviously. Um, Aurelian was a great player and even a better person, so it's uh, sad to see him go. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good opportunity for me right now. Um, I'm not too worried about anything. I'm just trying to get back into shape and back into game fitness and uh game experience right now well and and obviously ocb is kind of new this year we we didn't have much of a depth chart last year so you did spend a little bit of time on the bench and um, how excited are you to be able to get that opportunity with ocb and not necessarily have to go straight into mls action to be able to get those minutes no it's awesome um especially right now having to go through like a protocol of 45 60 and then depending how it's in 60 on the 90 or whatever um so that's definitely really good because, I mean, you're not going to throw a guy, 20-year-old out in an MLS game and let him play 45 minutes. Um, and, I mean, the USL is a high level. Um, it's they're usually they're a really good game most of the time, high intensity. I mean, and it's better to be playing uh, meaningful games uh, than just kick-around games, you know. Uh, these games are for points. They're for playoffs. Uh, so it's, it's awesome, and, um, and it, it's a good group of guys, so it's a, it's a good learning experience. So they say that um, you know when people come back from ACL injuries that it takes anywhere from a year to two years to really get 100% right again. Uh, where do you feel like you are right now? Uh, I, f- I feel really good. Um, obviously, there are days where uh, the knee swells up or something or uh, you feel weak one day and the next day you feel great or you have a day off and you feel great. It just depends. Um, and it's just a process for everyone. Everyone I've talked to, they say, it's every day it gets better, every day it gets stronger, which I can definitely tell cause, uh, just doing the practices every day and then uh, getting more intense every day. Um, and obviously playing in a game uh, helps that process a lot. But, uh, yeah, from what I've heard, it just continues to get better. And from what I can say, I feel really well. I feel really good right now. Excuse me. I feel really good right now, and uh, it's only going to get better. Well, and obviously one story that's come out of this year is um, being the starting of Tommy Redding um, for the back line. Um, how, you know, you've been seeing him in training every day. How good do you think he can get? And is he is he your main competition for the future? 
Um, Tommy's a great player. I've known Tommy for a long time. We actually were uh, center back partners uh, with the U17s and uh, a little bit with the U18s. Uh, so we play, we played together for a long time, and we have good uh, good off the field uh, vibe and a good uh, relationship off the field and on the field. Uh, he's a very talented player, and I I think he can continue to get better. I think all of us can. Uh, we have a young, really good young core group, which uh, makes should make Orlando City fans really excited. Um, uh, for the future, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone on the depth charts competition, but we're teammates, so uh, it's about pushing each other. Whether that means I'm pushing Tommy to get better, or even pushing Seven Devi to get better, it's just a, a friendly competition. But at the same time, it's uh, we're trying to help each other get better. Now, Connor, you just mentioned the the U.S. you know youth national team uh, that you and Tommy had played for. Obviously, while you were out, you know. That's got to be concern for you in terms of getting back and, and getting with the national team picture. Have you had conversations with with the national team coaches during your timeout? Uh, no. Um, I mean, my last national team was with the U20s. Obviously, going to the World Cup, I was an alternate, and then got a uh, got um, I don't want to say lucky, but someone got hurt right before this tournament, and I was down there with them, so I ended up making the roster, but. Uh, yeah, that was my last real conversation with the national team. I think uh, now at this point, uh, it's more based on, I don't want to say, it's not based on reputation as much now where uh, when we were in the 20s and the U-17s that you could kind of just go into camp and then you, most of us weren't playing first team minutes anyway, so they were just called basically, it was hard to evaluate us outside of the camp. Now it's uh, to get into the first team, the full team, and the, at the time, U-23, I'll be, I think my cycle passes after this. Um, we'll just be to get back into that picture. We'll just be having to play first few minutes and and obviously uh, be successful the first few minutes. Well, and obviously, um, you're getting some time with OCB. Um, how has been the coaching down there? You've got two new coaches, um, but you are spending time with both um, teams. How is that for you? Are you learning mostly Heath's style, or is Heath and Pulis really trying to engender the same um, tactic and formation? They're basically doing the same thing. I mean, everywhere you go, the, ta- the tactics are always going to be a little different, whether it's by personnel or uh, um, injuries and everything, or the type of team you're playing. But we definitely all have the same uh, same playing style. We like to keep the ball. We're going to go at you, but we're going to keep the ball at the same time and be calm on it. Um, and Ant and Rob are doing a great job. Um, uh, me and Ant had a pretty good relationship last year when he was helping out with the first team. Uh, doing extra stuff after practice with him. So he's, uh, he's definitely doing a good job. And it's hard. I mean, he's coaching a new team, but he's definitely doing a really good job with it. And Rob's a great great example for me, being a center back and uh, being successful in his career. So um, they're two really good guys to learn from. Now, how did your body react to your first uh, competitive uh, game in, in quite some time? Yeah, my knee actually was really good. Um well, it didn't hurt at all during the game. I honestly didn't think about it. Um, uh, my body felt pretty good. Uh, 45 minutes it doesn't seem like too long. I, I don't. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't get too tired. I still have a little bit more to go on the fitness aspect. But honestly, it felt really good, and I have no complaints. Came out pretty un, uh, unscratched, and my body feels good. Well, and how do you? You know, obviously, this is going to be a little bit of a weird question, but do you? Are you comfortable with going back out on turf, or would are you happy to see that Orlando is transitioning to grass and um, for the stadium next year? Um, well, I mean, uh, obviously, if I break into the first team this year, it'll be on turf if we're at home. So, I mean, I'm excited no matter what. If that means playing in MLS, but uh, 
you ask any soccer player that question, and they're going to say, yes, we're very excited to play on grass next year. Uh, <laughs> that's just uh, a common answer. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if it, if it comes to the point where I have to play on turf this year, uh, I think getting a practice under my belt on turf and just familiarizing myself with it and just – and uh, every turf is different. You know what you're going to get with grass most of the time. Um, so every turf's different, though. So, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be excited. I'm just excited to play again, to be honest with you. Um, whether that's turf or grass. Connor, a lot of our fans haven't really gotten a chance to see Orlando City B play a lot this year. Um, you know, what can you tell them about the, 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 the defenders that you've worked with? You know, who, who are some of the guys that, you know, would surprise people as being uh, really high-quality players? Yeah, it's a good group, honestly. I mean, I also like the first thing, we have a lot of young good guys, uh, young guys that are really good. Uh, obviously, everyone knows Tyler, Harrison, Lewis, and um, and uh, Richie Larray, uh, and all the guys, and um, Haji Berry from uh, the MLS team. Um, but you got Mikey Ambrose, who's a very good left back. Um, just really speak, uh, really quick, good on the ball, good defender. Uh, Kyle McFadden's very strong. Uh, defender, um, tackles hard, plays simple, good defender. Um, you got Tony Rocha in the midfield, I think, so a really good player, just really silky on the ball. And then um, you got, uh, you know, everyone knows Brian Rocha's up top, and then you got uh, Coxie, uh, Michael Cox, who a uh, very strong, athletic player that uh, can do damage in this league and score some goals. I think he's, I don't know, it was his second goal of the year for the USL last weekend, uh, but uh, if we get him going, I think he'll be a really good player. Well, and, and who would you say that we want to start watching out for the first team? Obviously, we're starting to see some injuries go out and see some other people come in. Rivas got his first goal last week. Um, do you see him going to be able to go on and score more goals? Yeah, I think a big thing is confidence. Um, you see Kev, he scored, and now he scored again. Um, so I think confidence is a huge thing. So hopefully that propels Rivas to score goals. Um which he's definitely capable of doing. He's a really exciting player and uh, dangerous, uh, very hard to defend against once he gets up to speed and everything. Uh, I think Julio is going to be great for us. Um, he's a class player. I mean, you see it in training. When he turns it on and he gets like a yard of space, he can put the ball anywhere he wants in the goal. Um, uh, Kyle, obviously, uh, he's a goal-scoring machine. Hopefully he can continue to do that um, and just pick his spots, find the, find the good place that he is, and just continue to be a goal scorer. Well, Connor, before we uh, before we let you go, I just wanted to you know just kind of wrap this up by asking you know if, what kind of conversations have you had with Adrian Heath during your your uh, recovery and 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 when do you think you know or are you setting a personal goal as to when you might get back to the senior club or or have you thought about that at all? Yeah, Adrian's been really good uh, good through the whole process. Um, came to me a couple of days after I did when I was in the training room and uh, talked to me for a while, just saying uh, people come back stronger and everything. I, he actually did hit me when he was a player, too, so he uh, was able to talk to me about that and then just asking me. I mean, it's a simple thing, just asking me how I'm doing. Like when I was on crutches, like four months out, all that stuff, like different times, he was just checking up on me, and uh, now he's been really good just pushing me in training and uh, making sure I'm doing everything clean to just get back to get back to be sharper and obviously the community get better. Um, I haven't, I haven't set a goal, um, which is, I'm usually a goal setter, goal setting kind of guy, but uh, 
for me right now, it's just uh, kind of what last year was like, uh, knowing that I have to work really hard behind the scenes and when no one's watching and uh, in training and everything and just continue to get better and because uh, eventually opportunities happen. Um, that happened to me last year, and it just so happened that it wasn't meant to be at the time. So uh, just continue to work hard and uh, hope for the best. But, I mean, I'm really looking forward to playing games this year. Um, I said earlier I played only five games last year, and I think two of them were friendlies and one was alone to Pittsburgh. So I'm just really excited to play a ton of games this year um, and win some games. Well, Connor Donovan, we certainly wish you the best of luck in your, your road to back to the MLS. And, and you know, uh, you're you're going to get the night off tonight to watch uh, – Orlando City B play Cincinnati if the if the weather allows it to, yeah. to happen. <laughs> <Whatever>. and, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, good luck with with uh, you know playing in the USL and and you know hopefully we will be back in the MLS soon. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Well, big thanks to Connor Donovan for being on the Mainland podcast. Uh, we know he wasn't uh, scheduled to suit up for OCB tonight, but then again. Maybe it wouldn't have mattered because uh, they are still, as we're recording this, in a holding pattern now an hour and a half delayed. And who knows how much longer they will be delayed. Our our, our own Sean uh, Rollins, who covers OCB for us because he lives over there by Melbourne, um, says that the team is eating dinner and so it won't be anytime soon. <laughs> um, but, you know, thanks to Connor for being with us and uh, – and, um, you know, telling us about his experiences uh, with the injury and with coming back and all of that. So we, we wish him the best of luck and, and really happy that he was able to come on to the, uh, the program with us. Andrew, before we get out of here, uh, it's just about the end of the podcast. But this is the, you know, we're going to get New England Revolution. or I'm sorry, we're going to get New York Red Bulls again. Um, these things just keep coming. Just like New York, New England, New York, New England. Um the Red Bulls we get again at the Orlando, well, the formerly the artist formerly known as the Orlando Citrus Bowl, uh, now known as Camping World Stadium, and um, I I just shudder to think of what that Red Bulls midfield did to Orlando City two weeks ago. Uh, what is your key matchup for Friday night, and and uh, how do you see this one turning out? I think you hit it right on nail on the head. We're seeing a resurgent. Red Bulls team um, but it has to be that battle of the midfield we've been losing it for the last three four games the Philadelphia game you know we didn't look strong in the midfield both New England games they had a, they kind of played us out um, the Red Bulls game they just absolutely destroyed our midfield so it's got to be about containing the resurgent question keeping Grella and Sam just not being able to get that service up to um Right, right, Phillips, who's just all of a sudden found his scoring boots too. Um, mm-hmm. If we don't have a way to get the partnership back of Hagida and Saren, I see this being a little bit of a bloodbath, even though we're back at home. Um, and I'm actually going to go with a 2-0 loss. I think we don't do well on Friday night games. Um, the crowd is usually a little bit smaller. I think Red Bulls get a third win in, the game, third win in a row. Hmm, that's depressing. Um, yeah, the the midfield is absolutely cooking on all cylinders for the Red Bulls. Question uh, and and um, and Grella have been fantastic the last two games. They destroyed Portland. I mean, they made Portland look worse than they made Orlando City look um, in that match the other night. Uh, just Portland 
was overmatched, completely swamped in the midfield. Dax McCarty is playing. Uh, he played a great game against Portland. He played very well against Orlando City, but I thought he really, really made a difference against Portland. Uh, Felipe played great. Um, you know, Sam is is a dangerous player. In fact, I thought that Breck Shea was way too eager to give him space mm-hmm. uh, when we played them. I, I thought he was a little bit intimidated by Sam's movement. And I think that caused problems because Sam was able to get some crosses into the box that were dangerous. And, and you know, to New York's credit, they were able to beat Orlando City in the air and, and head some of those back across goals and, and create some really, really dangerous situations and uh, and cause problems for Joe Bendix. So, um, and, and, you know, that is probably Bendix's weakness is when the ball is kind of, um, you know, served, you know, over the, you know, over him. And he's got to make that decision. Do I come? Do I stay? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the weakness in his game seems to lie. So, um, yeah, it's kind of depressing. The more I think about this, the more I think <laughs> that Orlando City may not may extend that lo- that winless streak to five games. I'm going to say that the key matchup for me, though, I'm going to go the other way and say, look, this team's been pretty good at holding teams to two goals this year or less. So I think that, for me, the key is Orlando City's attack against the back line of New York, and they have to they have to put pressure on New York's back line because New York's not, not had a great back line this year. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, they went out and traded and got Aurelian Collin because they have struggled in the back line. But Orlando City was not able to really uh, mount much of an attack but was still able to score two goals at, at Red Bull Arena. And so I, I think that, for me, the key is can – the return of Kaká and can Kyle Laren and and, and uh, Molino and you know Batista or Winter or whoever else is up front can they challenge that back line and and get them out of sorts and put goals in the net because as Adrian Heath is fond of saying goals change games and if Orlando City can get on the front foot and get a goal early and then get another one uh, they can really take the Red Bulls out of what they like to do. Um, and, uh, you know, they had a lot of a lot of problems with that high pressure. And I think Orlando City has to give some of that back uh, in this matchup and, and, you know, come up with their, their own high pressure and, and make things difficult. Make it tough for the Red Bulls to get the ball out of the back and into the midfield. Yep, that's that's my key. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic and say it's a 2-2 draw. OK. I think that uh, Kyle Aaron's due for a goal. He is due after starting. I mean, his goal per game has got to be way down now. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely below where it was <laughs> after three games. <laughs> I, I, I think you, which it is all about just getting the service. But I think we talked about it in the first half of the podcast. You know, the service is not necessarily there. We need that revas. We need somebody on the left side to kind of bring in the potency that Winter is also being able to bring in. Um, and without that, we're always just going down the same flank, and it's not necessarily working. So yeah, if we can if we can put pressure on it, like you say, Red Bulls have got a weak defense. There's a reason they went out and paid half of Aurelian Collins' salary when we felt, you know, he wasn't even worth starting. Mm-hmm. Um, but time will tell whether or not Friday comes too soon for a, a, a Orlando City side that's struggling. Does Aurelian Collins take a penalty on Friday night? Does he does he commit a foul in the box against his old team? I I I personally don't think he starts. I don't okay. think Marsh 
I don't think Marsh is ready to go there yet. And we also, he doesn't have that match fitness. I think you'd, you'd be kind of doing a discredit to the fact that Zumar and Womet have been ha- not having a bad couple of games. Because the midfield yeah, well, is now it, protecting them so well. Yeah, it's it's really hard to have a, a, a bad game when uh, when Dax and Felipe are hoovering up every ball that comes into your half of the field. <laughs> so, um, but we'll see. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. I think I, I think this is it, for a game nine of the season. This is not far from really being a must win, in my opinion. I think that I think Orlando City needs to needs to get something from this match and. They cannot afford to continue to let this let this winless streak linger and, and fester and become a problem and, and and you know create confidence problems in the club. I mean, they're, if if they're going to get Kaká back, that's going to boost some confidence. But they have to go out and they have to perform. And it's been a while since the back line has played the way it did the first you know few games of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, they need to have a strong game in the back, and and I think that uh, you know if Bendik plays like he's been playing, and, and the defense can step up, uh, they should be able to. I mean, we've seen they can play with anyone in the league, so uh, you know, we just hope that they can execute, put put together a good game plan, and um, you know, I mean, because last year they de- they destroyed the Red Bulls in New Jersey, and they really, even though they were down a man, were the better side for most of the game. Uh, you know, the one at the Citrus Bowl. So, you know, they have had good games before against the Red Bulls. So they are capable, and I hope, hopefully that uh, they'll get out there on Friday night and get after them. So, I, I uh, hope so, too. I, go ahead. I hope so, too, But because I think you're, you're right. We know how to play him, and you see that in that frustration that Jesse Marsh showed in the first half of the game. You know, he, he's upset with certain calls. He's upset with the way the game is going in his favor. I, we know how to play those te- that team, and that's why I think mm-hmm. the, the loss that we saw up in New Jersey was just kind of so, you know, it was, it was kind of, it was one of those things which you couldn't really expect because we thought that was one of those teams that we could just go out and kind of dominate even if we weren't playing well. Yeah, but that didn't happen. No. <laughs> so uh, we get another shot at them, and, and you know the good thing is I I think um, you know if you can get a win against them, then it's going to boost your confidence because they are the the reigning supporter shield winners, and uh, there's a lot of talent on that team, and they've been playing very very well. So uh, hopefully the the lads in purple can go out and get a result and uh, get three points uh, on Friday night. Uh, that's going to about do it for episode 48 of this podcast, Andrew. I know that uh, we would like for our f- friends out there to to uh, like us on Facebook and uh, follow us on Twitter. We're at The Mainland. You can read our blog at themainland.com. And, uh, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you just leave us a really nice feedback at iTunes? That would be really helpful as well. Um, we're going to do this new thing pretty soon. We've got uh, our Facebook page has been verified. We're going to start doing some live video stuff on there with Facebook Live. So we're we're kind of spitballing and game planning how we're going to do that. So stay tuned for some announcements on that. And uh, well, that's about it. That takes care of all the business we have. We'll be back next week to break down this uh, Orlando City and New York Red Bulls game. Maybe we'll be talking about Orlando City B against Cincinnati, but uh, who knows. It uh, doesn't look like that game's starting anytime soon. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have some thoughts on the pride and the rain, and we'll, we'll look ahead to, to even more matches the following week. Because, man, this, this just doesn't end until, like, October. This, <laughs> this is good stuff. So, yeah. 
So, Andrew, um, we're going to call it a night, and we'll be back next week. And uh, so on behalf of Andrew Harrison and uh, the absent Daniel McGann this week, uh, this is Michael Citro signing off by saying, Go City! <laughs>